UN makes proposal to Russia to expand grain deal with Ukraine. Farnes Fasihai Evelina Ryabenko Andrew Higgins Anatoly Kermanev. Moscow recently said it would not agree to extend past mid-May the deal that enables Ukraine to ship grain from Black Sea ports. Here is what we're covering. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, proposed an extension and expansion of an agreement with Russia that has allowed Ukraine to transport grain from its Black Sea ports, according to a summary of a meeting he held on Monday with Russia's foreign minister. Russian officials have recently said they would not extend the deal beyond mid-May. But Mr. Guterres outlined a proposal to improve and expand the agreement in a letter to the Russian president, Vladimir V. Putin, according to a UN summary of his meeting with Foreign Minister Sergei V. Lavrov at UN headquarters. The Russian state news agency, TASS reported, that Mr. Lavrov had confirmed receipt of the letter, saying that it needs to be studied. No details of the proposal were disclosed publicly, but the UN summary said that similar letters had been sent to the Grain Agreement's other signatories, Turkey and Ukraine. Turkey and the UN brokered the initial deal last July, and it has been extended twice since then, even as Russia has chafed under its terms. Moscow has complained that its own agricultural exports have been hampered by international sanctions, and it briefly suspended its participation late last year after an attack on Russian warships in the Black Sea port of Sevastopol for which it blamed Ukraine. The war, involving two major food exporters, caused havoc with global markets after Russia's full-scale invasion began in February of last year. The Russian Navy blocked Ukrainian exports via the Black Sea, while nations around the world imposed heavy sanctions on Russia in response to its aggression. Critical global food shortages worsened and prices soared. Under the deal, ships have been able to carry millions of tons of Ukrainian grain and other agricultural products to Istanbul, where they are inspected for unauthorized cargo by international teams that include Russian representatives before proceeding to their ultimate destinations. Empty ships heading to Ukraine are inspected in Istanbul. While the Black Sea deal has lessened the war's effects on global food markets, overland shipments of Ukrainian grain have become a source of tension in the European Union, which acted to ease shipments from the embattled nation. Some of the Ukrainian grain flooded markets in neighboring countries in Eastern Europe, prompting protests and unrest among local farmers. That led a handful of the affected countries, including Hungary and Poland, to bar or consider barring Ukrainian imports, prompting objections from the European Union. The EU has offered 100 million euros, or about 110 million dollars, to help aid the affected farmers. The State of the War In the South Russian troops are forcibly relocating people from occupied areas near the city of Kherson as fighting there intensifies, Ukrainian officials said. Western arms Weapons reinforcements from the West have fallen short of what Ukraine needs for its coming counteroffensive, leaked Pentagon documents show. Grain supplies when Russia's war blocked vitally needed Ukrainian grain exports, EU officials succeeded in finding other routes out. But the solution has caused discontent among European farmers. Buying into Russian propaganda A year into the war, some people in eastern Ukrainians still confound officials and the police with their support for Moscow despite the constant bombardment from Russian forces. 
This is one in an occasional series of dispatches about life amid the war in Ukraine. KYIV, Ukraine, small bunches of flowers play a big role in daily life in Ukraine. They are a gift for almost any occasion, and many people buy them simply to decorate their homes. Flower stands dot street corners in towns and cities across the country. So when Natalia Kondrashova ran into her friend Daria Tvaronovich on a busy street in the center of the Ukrainian capital one recent morning, it was no surprise that both women were carrying flowers. The women embraced in delight and surprise at seeing one another. Ms. Kondrashova's partner had bought her a bunch of delicate daffodils for her 30th birthday, while Ms. Tvaronovich, 24, was carrying a single daffodil stem from a bunch given to her for a date. Flowers have always been special for our souls, said Ms. Kondrashova, to explain why blooms matter in Ukraine. At the beginning of the war, it was difficult to buy them. So now we buy them for ourselves and for our eyes. Last spring, Kiev's flower business ground to a halt as Russia's invasion sparked an exodus. Its vibrant return this year is one of several small signs of life coming back to the capital. One flower vendor, Alexander Tretyakov, who has a stall on Yaroslav of Val Street in Kiev, said he didn't even attempt to sell flowers last spring and instead went to work in a factory away from the front line. Now he's back, selling bunches of daffodils and other flowers that he buys from greenhouses outside of Kiev or from the city of Venetia in central Ukraine. Pussy willows are a favorite for Palm Sunday, he said, while in the summer, delphiniums and sunflowers, Ukraine's national flower, are popular. The year's best day for flowers is March 8, Women's Day, he added. Mr. Tretyakov's stall pales in comparison to the giant flower boutiques in some of Ukraine's metro stations, where thousands of bunches are on sale. Those boutiques sell buds from Ukraine, but also from Colombia, Ecuador, Kenya and the Netherlands, according to Natalia B.S., 42, who said she had been working in one such shop for 23 years. In that time, she said she had seen the industry expand and buyers' tastes become more sophisticated. Bouquets have become more elaborate, she said. But the resurgence of Kiev's flower business, like the traffic jams on its streets and its busy cafes and bars, also masks a more complicated reality. The war has left people dealing with loss, grief, fear and disruption in myriad ways. Ms. Tvaronovich, for example, abandoned her career as an actor last spring when the invasion began and started working as a volunteer in western Ukraine helping people to evacuate. When she resumed with her theater company in Kiev last summer, bombs were still falling. Now there's an opportunity to come back to normal life, she said, adding we have all grown up in a year. After more than a year of surprisingly solid European unity in support of Ukraine, grains of discord are piling up in the barn of Robert Vieru, a Romanian farmer with 500 tons of wheat and 250 tons of sunflower seeds now sitting unsold because of cut-price Ukrainian competition. A glut of Ukrainian cereals and other produce has nearly half the value for the results of Mr. Vieira's labors and left farmers across Eastern and Central Europe and their governments, most of which face elections this year or next, caught between solidarity with Ukraine and their own survival. I feel sad for them, but my heart breaks for myself. Mr. Vieira said of Ukrainians living across the nearby border in Romania's Danube River Delta as he opened the sliding door of a concrete barn filled to the brim with last year's unsold harvest.
Prices have been driven so low by a flood of cheap food from Ukraine, he said, that selling would mean earning less than he paid to produce his crops. Mr. Vieira's plight, shared by farmers in Poland, Hungary, Slovakia and Bulgaria, flow from the unintended consequences of good intentions gone awry. Market forces, turbocharged by profiteering, have turned an ambitious effort by the European Union to help Ukraine export its harvest and ease what the United Nations described last year as an unprecedented global hunger crisis into a source of political division and economic distress in Europe's formerly communist eastern lands. The mess has not erased strong public support for Ukraine, at least not yet, but it has created an opening for far-right groups that favor Russia, generated serious frictions within the European bloc and soured moods in a region that had been a bastion of mostly unflagging support for Ukraine. A proposal from the European Commission of 100 million euros to compensate farmers has done little to assuage the tensions. With the exception of Hungary, whose populist prime minister, Viktor Orban, has often cozied up to Russia, the countries hit hardest by the competition are among Ukraine's most stalwart European allies. Poland, Romania and Slovakia have provided weapons and military training. Over the past week, however, all five nations have imposed tight restrictions on importing Ukrainian grain, with only Romania stopping short of an outright ban. We are the last man standing, Romania's transport minister, Soren Grindinu, said in an interview. The Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry S. Peskov, said on Monday that his son had fought in Ukraine, highlighting the Moscow elite's uneven participation in a war effort that has so far cost the lives of tens of thousands of Russian soldiers. Mr. Peskov's remarks came after Yevgeny V. Prigazin, the leader of Russia's Wagner private military company, said on Saturday that Mr. Peskov's son had served as an artilleryman with his mercenary group for six months. The son, Nikolai Peskov, 33, described his purported service to Komsomolskia Pravda, a pro-government newspaper, in an article published the next day. On Monday, Mr. Peskov, President Vladimir V., Putin's longest-serving chief spokesman, was asked about his son at a daily press briefing. It is true, he did take part in the special military operation, he told journalists, using the government's euphemism for the war in Ukraine. He declined to provide further details. None of the accounts could be independently verified, and it was not possible to determine whether Mr. Prigazin was pointing out a rare example of a wealthy young Russian's military service or was attempting a public relations stunt to needle Kremlin insiders. Mr. Prigazin, a social media provocateur, has often criticized the country's elite for weak patriotic sentiment. In March, Mr. Prigazin claimed that the son-in-law of Russia's defense minister, Sergei K. Shoigu, had joined Wagner. It turned out that the fighter he identified was of no relation to Mr. Shoigu, a frequent target of Mr. Prigazin's criticism. Some elements of Mr. Prigazin's account of the younger Mr. Peskov's service sounded like trolling. Mr. Prigazin said that in Wagner, Nikolai Peskov had worked loading ammunition on an assignment that would have placed him miles behind the front line. He also said that Nikolai Peskov stood out from his comrades because he spoke English and looked too clever. Several acting and former Russian officials have volunteered for the military since the start of the invasion last year, using their service to bolster their nationalist credentials on social media. But it has been difficult to confirm details of their service, including whether they served in frontline roles. 
In 2011, Nikolai Peskov posted photos on social media that appeared to show him participating in Russia's obligatory one-year military service. Since Mr. Putin ordered the full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, the younger Mr. Peskov has been goaded about further enlistment. Shortly after Mr. Putin announced in September that he would mobilize 300,000 men to fight, opposition activists claiming to be conscription officers, prank called him. Obviously, I won't come, a man described as Nikolai Peskov told the prank callers after being asked whether he would report to the conscription office the next day. I'm going to resolve this on a different level. But he told the Komsomolskia Pravda newspaper that joining Wagner was his decision, saying that he had received a medal for bravery. He did not immediately respond to a request for comment from the New York Times.